the street smarts we develop can outsmart us because the coping mechanisms we use to survive or, you know, kind of navigate early on don't serve us well. So we have to understand what's, you know, the automatic pilot that we might be on. But if we understand also the street smarts that we developed that are assets, then we can use those. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, everybody, welcome to the show. Uh, looking forward to introducing you to our guest today because of not only the concept, but what it can do for you. And just in our, our pre-show conversation, I already know that we're talking to an awesome individual here who I know uh, is going to bring a lot of wisdom and depth for us. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us in this 13th season of Leadership Without Losing Your Soul and for making the show the success it is. Please, uh, as you are sharing the show, make sure and find somebody who get that real specific, that one episode that's gonna be helpful for them. Uh, and of course, we always enjoy your likes, comments, shares, and most importantly, those, uh, those reviews on the podcast platform of your choosing. All right, let's get to our guest today. His name is Soren Kaplan. He's a PhD, award-winning author, former corporate executive, founder of three Silicon Valley startups, a columnist for Inc. Magazine and many other uh, writing uh, places as well, uh, outlets, an affiliate at the Center for Effective Organizations at the University of Southern California, an international keynote speaker, and has led professional development programs for thousands of executives around the world at a whole list of companies that I won't name, but you know, and if we did list them, we wouldn't have time to talk about anything else. He's the author of Experiential Intelligence, Harness the Power of Experience for Personal and Business Breakthroughs. Uh, once again, Soren Kaplan, author of Experiential Intelligence. Soren, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thanks. Great to be here, David. Uh, I'm really looking forward to learning more about experiential intelligence. And uh, just by way of uh, introduction for our audience here, experiential intelligence is something that Soren says will help you become a better leader, increase team collaboration, innovation results, hire and develop talent using more strategic criteria, transform organization culture, and enhance your personal growth, which I mean, I'll take any one of those, but all five of them, that's pretty transformative. So it's going to be awesome. All right. So Soren, take us back as we get to know you a little bit to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. That's a great question. I, I, you know, I'm going to go back to my childhood, actually, and go deep. Um, and that's what experiential intelligence is all about. It's getting in touch with the experiences that shaped us um, and that we had to either cope with or address or, or move through. So um, I had sort of a unique childhood. Um, when I was three years old, my mother developed a mental illness. My father was kind of going after some spiritual pursuits and rarely home. And by the time I was 15 years old, we had moved 16 times. Mm. So earliest memories were a lot of uncertainty, a lot of ambiguity, making decisions with very little information and not knowing what I could rely on. So that created an incredible need to be self-sufficient. So leadership for me started at a young age. Now, just to draw a line of sight back to present day, because now, you know, I'm, I'm an adult, I've, I've achieved a lot of things, but I had to overcome some of those challenges from those experiences. But those experiences also instilled in me the 
skills and abilities and mindsets so that I could do startups and I could navigate organizational cultures and read body language. And, and it gave those things gave me assets and strengths. So I had to be a leader at a young age and develop street smarts that then somehow I was able to kind of create a line of sight to into my own kind of more formal leadership. So that's a long-winded answer and a pretty deep one <laughs> to your simple question. Yeah. Well, it's I find it's not the simplest question. It really takes us back in all kinds of different ways. And, and exactly what you're talking about, right? Those experiences that that form us and shape us. I'm I'm wondering if uh, as you're thinking about that childhood leadership and and some of those experiences, is there a moment that stands out uh, where you recall um, a way of being self-reliant or, or or some element of that that may not maybe it's not the earliest one, but it's it's back there. Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, I had a pretty rough childhood. I mean, there's a couple that stick into my mind. You know, I'm at I'm at baseball practice and I'm waiting for a ride home, and no one ever shows up. I had to figure it out, and you know, and I could kind of go on and on with some of those experiences. You know, trying needing to get home from school and thinking I have a ride and no one shows up. So you know, I, I those were instances where I had to kind of address scary moments and figure out how to be self-reliant and take charge and, you know, kind of deal with what that create, you know, kind of deal with that, what that situation created. And so those are, those are um, moments that um, have stuck with me to a certain extent that I've had to sort of heal from. And on the flip side, I, they gave me certain things too that I've been able to use. And, uh, and so, you know, the flip side of healing is growth. And I, you know, I've kind of tried to lean into that, that paradox, if you will. Without a doubt. And uh, I'm just, you know, I shared this uh, with Soren before the show, but uh, some of those incidences and things you're talking about, I feel like there's so much shared experience that I have so many of those things too. I remember a manager when I was in college working, she said, you are, have to be one of the most self-reliant people I have ever met. And for very similar reasons, including the waiting for somebody to show up, thinking you have a ride and it never happens. <laughs> uh, but you know, you were, you were sharing with me prior to us uh, coming on air that as you have these discussions with people, you are finding everyone has these experiential elements that inform part of who they are. They're not unique to you and me. They're really not. Um, we all have, it, it, life is experience and we all have experiences growing up and those experiences shape, oftentimes impact us and shape us. And there's terms for that, like street smarts or like the 10,000 hour rule. Um, that have been popularized to describe what experience imparts on us, but really we all have those experiences. And if, and yet we have understood that success is oftentimes, you know, we think it's tied to our IQ or our emotional intelligence EQ, but we really haven't looked at how our experiences complement those things and really from you know from a really formal way shape our mindsets or give us abilities and skills that allow us to become who we are and then also allow us to succeed in whatever we're trying to do sometimes the street smarts we develop can outsmart us because the coping mechanisms we use 
to survive or, you know, kind of navigate early on don't serve us well. So we have to understand what's, you know, the automatic pilot that we might be on. But if we understand also the street smarts that we developed that are assets, then we can use those and we can use those for ourselves. But then by understanding how experience um, can be used as an asset, you can tap into the experiences of your teams, of your organizations. You can foster and promote and draw out the strengths from people that are outside of their formal resumes that you know really are underlying and hidden based on people's life experience. And there's a lot of opportunity for that. And so, yes, we all have experiences. We all have experiential intelligence. The question is, how do we tap into it? All right. So and you've you started to to take us into this concept. And uh, so uh, calling this XQ for short, experiential, experiential intelligence, uh, kind of like we have IQ, that intelligent quotient, then it came along EQ for emotional intelligence. So now we've got XQ and you said that they're complementary. So let's just start, get back to our definitions. Uh, and you've kind of have definitely talked us around it. But when we talk about experiential intelligence, uh, what is that exactly? And how does it differ from those in that way that's complementary? Yeah. So let's just look at I, IQ is really your intellect. It's you know tied to your problem solving abilities typically. EQ, emotional intelligence, is your ability to understand your own and be in touch with your own emotions and the emotions of other people. So we've known that those are important um, for many you know, decades. Experience. And in today's world where things are changing faster than ever, there's disruptive technology, there's artificial intelligence now. Like we we need a structured way and a more of a formal way to understand how our experiences impact and shape us. So the the original concept came out um, from uh, Robert Sternberg. He was president of the American Psychological Association. So it comes out of psychology. And it really, I've defined it as essentially three components and expanded on the original concept, your mindsets, your abilities, and your know-how. And so let, let me just get, bring it to life with a simple example I think most of us can relate to. It's riding a bike. So, David, how did you learn how to ride a bike? What did you do? Uh, I had uh, no training wheels in my situation. I had a bike, had a dirt bike, and I remember the parking lot. And <laughs> uh, it was adjacent to our house, and we lived on a busy road, so I really had to stay in that parking lot. And I do my best to pedal, I'd fall over and I'd keep doing that until I got it. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's the short so, story. It, so you just described experiential learning. And so you didn't read a book, you didn't read the manual, you know, you 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 amazingly didn't even try it with training wheels. But most of us, you know, we we fall over, we might have two training wheels and then we take off one. We, you know, it's a, it's a kind of trial and error. And eventually we learn how to ride the bike and then it sticks with us. Hey, so, listen, though, I would have, if I had had access to a training manual on how to ride a bike with my personality, <laughs> I would have read the manual. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you had only read the manual, you still would have fallen over. I still would have fallen. Because, because, because you learn through, you learn at least that through experience. Um, and exactly. so, so when you think about what riding a bike is, let's decipher that a little bit. Um, you you have the base know-how. It's the skills um, of turning the the handlebars and braking. But then, uh, you, as you ride more, you need to 
anticipate potholes in the road or ride defensively in traffic. Those are higher order abilities. Not just that's not just a skill. Those are abilities. And then you can think about a bike in a certain way. So that's your mindset. How do you? What is a bike? Is it just transportation to and from school, or is it about adventure, or is it about socializing, or is it about thrill seeking? I'm a mountain bike rider, so you know for me that is what it's about. Um, and so you've got mindsets, you've got abilities, and you've just got base skills and know how. Mm. Now that those three dimensions are what that experience gave you. Now let's decipher the mindset piece a little more because you can have a great experience and it can be a lot of fun. Or if you fall over in front of friends and you're embarrassed or you get hurt, you may internalize a mindset that says, Oh, bikes are dangerous, Mm -hmm. or this is an opportunity to be embarrassed. And I don't want to do that again. And you can, it might not just be about the bike. It might actually be about your life and how you want to show up or not show up. So those experiences that we have, especially earlier on, really shape our mindsets and then lead to and can influence what we do, which is then impacts our abilities. If you go back to the 10,000 hour type rule, you and I had, you and I had experience maybe 10,000 hours and living with ambiguity and having a lot of uncertainty. So we're good with that. So the bike riding example, I think we can sort of all relate to, and it includes all three elements of experiential intelligence. And those things kind of happen over time with various experiences. And I have many, many examples of of leaders as well as myself in in relation to that. So, okay. So we've got know-how, we've got the skills, we've got the the knowledge, we've got the abilities that that enables, and then the, the mindsets that come with that. And so all of that are aspects of what we learn through our experiences. And so the, all the questions that come up and, and as I hear this and, and read through it in your book, uh, uh, the, one of the first ones that says, okay, so that makes a lot of sense in terms of what I can do with all of that. And to the point you've already made, also how it can limit me if I'm not working through some of those things and being aware of them. Uh, so can you, Can you develop? Well, I mean, certainly you can develop. Maybe IQ is kind of fixed, but experiential intelligence is about our experiences. So clearly we can develop that. The whole second section of the book is all about developing it. So walk us through a little bit as we become aware of these things. How do we invest in ourselves in developing this experiential intelligence? Yeah, so there's there's two sides of experiential intelligence. Um, there's the I I think it's the subconscious side, and then there's the conscious side. So I described you know maybe the subconscious side around the bike riding example. If you if it leads to fear and and you, and, you know kind of avoidance of risk, for example, um, that might be subconscious. And there's a lot of books and, and research out there like leadership and self deception, and you know various ways to look at things that you know might be flying under the radar. So one way at a kind of a deeper level to deal with it is through looking at your own experiences and you can work with, you know, you can just do it yourself. You can work with a coach, you can work with a therapist, you could, you know, basically just work with your own, you know, anyone else you trust and kind of go deeper into what might be influencing you that you're not aware of. And so that, you know, there's a lot of opportunities there. Um, I work with a lot of organizations and teams and leaders who really they're, they want to 
probably just focus more on the positive stuff because, you know, even in my own experience, I got a lot of amazing assets out of a very difficult, you know, childhood. Well, it, but just by focusing in on those assets, how uh, I, I can understand myself better. And then I can look at how I apply those assets, abilities, and ways I think to what I want to do. And if I understand myself better, that also allows me because you know business and work usually involves other people and teams to draw those assets out of my team as well. Okay, and let's, so let, can we start with can we start with ourselves then? Because uh, I think it would be helpful for our listeners if if you could share like an you were saying either with yeah. yourself or with some of your clients like a way that people have used that lens to focus and draw out their best. Sure. Um, I'll give you two quick examples. Uh, the first client of mine, uh, she was just um, r- ranked as one of the top 40 chief marketing officers in the world. She she ran international business at Hershey. And I was talking to her about her own experiential intelligence. And I said, what's not on your resume that led you to this kind of recognition? And she said, she played, learned how to play violin in an orchestra. Mm. I'm like, what do you mean by that? And, and she said that she had to have intense focus, get really good at something and work with other people to compose. And then as she's playing to lead, but also step back when it made sense to step back. And she said that, that she, you know, sort of recognized it, but in that conversation, she really understood how those abilities and ways of thinking that she got early on doing something completely outside of work has led to her success. Yes. I love that so, question. What's not on your resume that allowed this? Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, other examples, just bring my own story to life. I, I, there was a moment, I think I was 17. I was went to buy a car with my father and we went to a dealership that we didn't realize was notorious for kind of bait and switch tactics. And it was a 15 minute interaction, but it was super uncomfortable. And I, and like my, see my father getting tense and the salesperson was, it was just kind of a tense interaction. And I took away two things. The first thing, which didn't serve me well, I call it a self-limiting belief salespeople can't be trusted. <laughs> and that has, I, that has been a thread in my life. And I know whenever I, you know, I'm in that sales situation, I get a little tense and I'm sure I'm not pleasant. And, and even some of like, my, yeah, yeah. You know, even some of my like strategic partnership conversations with some of my business dealings, like I, I'm sure I, I, I don't think as clearly as I can, because I've got these visceral kind of memories that pop up mm-hmm. now. Uh, so I've worked on that, but and that same experience, I also became aware that I wanted to understand people's motivations more deeply in any interaction. So the flip side, you know, I got that self-limiting belief, but I also got this other belief that it was important for me to understand motivations, which has led me to a lot of uh, empathy research when I do design thinking and innovation and you know looking at you know different stake stakeholder analysis when i'm doing organizational culture work so i i got something good and i got something limiting from the very same experience and so those are things that i've worked on and tried to kind of understand for myself Hmm. that's a great example so let's and i imagine you know for your chief marketing officer too with all of that focused, intense practice of the violin too. There probably were, uh, uh, you know, it provided all those positives. And then what, what are the other things too? 
as I get older, I, I have more and more awareness of the the role of those mindsets and beliefs and all the lenses that we're looking at the world through and and all. What I'm becoming more and more aware of over time is our ability to, the words that you use in the book are to decode those mindsets, identify them and remake them, which that's some powerful language and it's a really powerful concept. So I wondered if you might walk us through a little bit of that in terms of what you mean by decoding a mindset, identify and remaking it where that's helpful. Yeah, um, that that is probably one of the most powerful concepts in the book, just in terms of personal and leadership development. Um, it, we we have different types of mindsets that get, and a mindset is just your, your attitudes and beliefs about yourself, other people in the world. And so they can be self-limiting or they can be self-expanding. Um, and that car, you know, buying example, I, I gave you an example of each one of those actually. Yeah. Um, and so how do you do it? Well, you, you need to look at what are the most powerful, poignant, impactful experiences you've had in your life. Like, just think about what they are. And I'm going to ask you, David, what yours are in a moment. And nice priming, and, by the way, love that. <laughs> yeah. I'll ramble for a second and give you some time to, to think back. Um, what are those, you know, those biggest high impact experiences that you've had? And sometimes they don't even have to be like big, they can be small, but they can bring up some type of emotion. I call it that visceral uh, memory. And so if you look at those, then you can think about how did they influence what I believe about myself, other people in the world. And then you can, you know, that's really the first step. That's understanding your mindset right there. And so you can, there's a lot of nuance to that. You can kind of take that in a lot of different directions, but I'll just leave it at that. It's, it's not rocket science. Okay, David, what are some of those <laughs> uh, high impact two, experiences you've had? Two that come to mind. I got one positive and one that, that came across more negatively, but the, the positive one, well, the other one, both in, uh, the positive one was, uh, I'm the oldest of six children. And, uh, so I always say I started leadership at a very young age because of that, uh, you know, just lead, leading in the family. But there was a moment where in the neighborhood, all my brothers and sisters had their friends over. So there's like 12 of us, 13 of us in the backyard and each age group doing its own activity. And my friends and I were throwing a Frisbee and a triangle around the yard. Others were on this little jungle gym. Somebody else is in a splashing in a wading pool and I don't know, playing with dolls or whatever over here. But all of that activity happening in um, like in concert, there was, and it was like one of the universe just rang a gong in that moment. I say like the, the little dust bites crystallized in the air. I mean, 11 years old, I'm 11 years old, but just this moment of like, whoa, this is freaking cool. And I helped mm -hmm. make it happen. And it wasn't like I had created, I didn't tell them what to play with, but I'd helped, you know, organize to some extent. And it was that reinforcement of like, wow, that feels really good. I remember that. And it's something that I have always taken as a capacity or something I enjoy and, and want to be a part of helping to make happen from an, like organizational so what, development. So what did you, what are the beliefs that you internalized as you observe that and the power of that in your 11 year old life? What, mm -hmm. what did you carry away from that? that maybe you've applied now because it was such a positive thing to what you do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. I mean, it is on some level, it is what I do. Uh, it, it, 
you know, as, as life weaves around, but the uh, one, it, it, a belief that it internalized for me is hope and what's possible is that people can work effectively together to do amazing things that are beyond what any one of us can do, right? That, that core leadership that tomorrow can be better if we work together, right? That hope, right? So there's that element. That's something that I think it crystallized really early on. And then for me personally, my ability to be a part of making that happen. I think that, so those are both like positive things that came out of that. Yeah. So that you have the power to crystallize the collaboration that feels good. and makes a difference in the world. Yeah. I mean, at, that, least, that's, at least help facilitate it. Yeah. 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 Well, that, that, that's, that's exactly what we're talking about with you. You've just decoded a couple of your attitudes and beliefs from an experience that has, that you hold that has led you to then do certain things, which is probably developed your abilities because you've just had practice doing things based on those, the things you are are believing about yourself and about the world. Mm -hmm. And so that that's decoding your mindsets. It's it's not, like I said, it's not rocket science. We just did it in five minutes, three minutes. And you know, the, the power is to understand what mindsets are driving you positively, but then also what's getting in your way too. Like if you've got certain negative memories or big experiences. Oh yeah. And I can, you know, in service to our listeners, I can certainly throw one of those out easily, you know, like, so, uh, grew up in a, uh, definitely what would be considered a fringe spiritual community to use your, your language, but uh, almost semi-cultish whatnot. But, um, and the emphasis in that community on doing and being right. And then add in a father with some anger management issues and all the rest. And I developed, a a real need, desire, everything else to get it right and to be above reproach (laughs) and which in many ways can serve you really well and then get reinforced, you know, but it's one of those things that the older I get, I realize, wow, (laughs) it can also (laughs) really screw you up and keep you from stuff that is positive. So yeah, yeah, it it can take a lot. It can be a lot of work to be perfect uh, for sure. And uh you know, I, I, you and I share similar, um, early experiences. It's pretty fascinating. Um, but you know, the, the other thing that I would also say is, is that the mindset is important. And as we're looking at our abilities, it, 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 understanding what we've done because of those mindsets and what we've developed in ourselves. Um, and I, and I do want to give another example of, that self-awareness of how experiences impact oneself also allows you to relate relate to other people mm-hmm. in different ways and draw out their strengths to do the you know to achieve kind of bigger goals and things. So it one another simple example um and it it has to do with when you look at the talent on your team. Um I'm part of a, a software company and and I I wanted to, a woman, young woman, about 22 years old, came to me and said, Hey, I'd love to get a job, even an internship. And I basically said, Just give me your resume. What do you what have you done? And she, it turned out she had didn't have a college degree and she didn't have any work experience at age 22. And so 
I, we had a conversation and she, I said, what have you done? <laughs> and she said that when she was in middle school, she moved from the U.S. to Israel, had to adapt to the culture and learn the language. She joined the military for a year and then was asked to be a commander for another year where she led 20 people in a battalion. And I said, how'd you learn how to do it? And she said, I had to figure it out. And then she wasn't on her resume, but I, I said, what have you been doing since that time? And she said, well, I just got back from India where I was traveling alone for six months. And so that gave me some clues as to her ability to be adaptive, navigate different cultures, figure it out when she needs to figure it out, be really you know self-motivated. And I brought her on as an intern and then very quickly hired her. And she's leading global teams in multiple countries and just doing a great job because those mindsets and abilities that she had, which really were not on her resume again, have allowed her to succeed. And so being able to, as a, you know, as a leader, see other people's life experiences beyond just what's on a resume, tap into those, build teams that are complementary based on you know what people's you know overall experiential intelligence is how they think some people think broadly and they're kind of more on the front end of the innovation spectrum other people are you know kind of more meticulous and closers and detail oriented and implement and just understanding all of that you free yourself first then other people allows you just to coordinate and orchestrate and help collaborate in, in ways that deliver the results that we're we're looking for typically such a, a really practical application, uh, leadership application of the principles of experiential intelligence. So we're talking with Soren Kaplan, author of Experiential Intelligence, Harness the Power of Experience for Personal and Business Breakthroughs. And we've been talking about experiential intelligence, the, the levels of know-how, abilities, mindsets. Uh, we've been talking a lot about mindsets and then uh, Soren just took us through how we can apply those uh, to not just ourselves, but then thinking about uh, talent and how we're putting teams together. Uh, Soren, I'd really like to take us uh, to leadership. You get into, in the third section of the book, you have many different applications uh, for leaders and uh, uh, a few of those I think it would be great to talk about here in the time that we have, you start by talking about connecting the dots. Uh, and what does that mean? And I think I, you've kind of hinted at a little bit already, but let's use the phrase and talk about how do leaders connect the dots and where does that come from experiential intelligence platform? Yeah, sure. Um, I, the way I like to talk about it is we all have dots. We just don't all connect them. And so what that basically <laughs> means is that uh, I need a we, bumper sticker that says that <laughs> we, we all have those experiences and we all have multiple experiences and many experiences. And the question is, what are all of those dots of those experiences that come have come together in us to make us who we are? It's our own internal fingerprint. Those experiences are all shaping us, whether we really know it or, or not. They're shaping our mindsets and our typically our abilities and then eventually our, our skills based on what we decide to do. So if we look at the breadth of experience that we have, then we're more able to see how we think, understand and decode our mindsets, and then also understand the abilities that we bring, not just the base skills. Hey, I can use, you know, Microsoft applications, 
they're the higher order things. I can navigate uncertainty, which gives me the leg up if I wanted to do a startup or work on an innovation team. And so it's it's really about looking at all those different experiences that you've had, those dots that for whatever reason feel meaningful to you. And they can be positive or negative and look at those and connect those dots and create an inventory essentially of your experiences plus your mindsets, abilities, and, and your skills. And that gives you your pro, essentially your experiential intelligence profile. It's a qual, it's a qualitative view of, of yourself. And you can do that for yourself, and then you can help others do it. And a lot of times by helping others, you also are helping yourself understand yourself at the same time, because that's just how this stuff, vulnerability and openness works. Um, so that's that's a that's just a simple way to connect those dots. You know, we talk so much uh, on this show in the, in the context of human-centered leadership about vulnerability, and that's a really practical way to, uh, I don't know if this makes sense, but to safely get vulnerable with one another and a team. You're talking about what are some of those transformative moments for each of us? We've done some thinking ourselves first, and then as we're having those conversations around sharing and reflecting with one another, it, it kind of levels the playing field a little bit. Yeah, I think I think we've known for the last few years the importance of vulnerability. It's still not easy. We can say we want to be vulnerable, but you know, it's sometimes it's hard to create a culture where we're leading with vulnerability. But what what I have found personally is, um, as I tell my own story, um, that if I'm vulnerable first, it it opens the door to more vulnerability. It's a virtuous cycle, and I share. I start the vulnerability cycle and I get more of it. And then it creates even more openness for me and the depth of relationship just accelerates. And so that vulnerability is an important piece of building one's experiential intelligence and, and building your own experiential intelligence. Well, perhaps if you find others who are interested in it, helping them build theirs. And it's that again, like that vulnerability grows your experiential intelligence and it's a virtual cycle there too. So that's, that's one of the principles that I talk about. Love it. Connect the dots and and then the virtuous cycle that, that comes about as a result. One of the, the other, uh, and you have several, uh, encouraging everybody to, to pick up this book. Uh, one of the items that you talk about in the, in the section on leadership was to rewrite the unwritten rules, which I just think is such a valuable leadership practice and one that we just don't always think about. But can you walk us through what you mean by rewrite the unwritten rules? How do we practically go about doing that? Well, it it sort of starts with a business perspective. I, I've done a lot of work in innovation and business strategy. And so when you look at disruption out there in the world, disruptive innovation and business models, companies rewrite business model rules and then become the innovator and and grow their business. So rewriting the rules has been sort of this business concept for for a few decades. Well, the same applies to us as individuals. If we decode our mindsets and understand the rules that we're operating by, then we can rewrite our own rules and, and show up differently. And the business linkage is perhaps we are operating with a mindset that's risk about risk aversion. Well, we're not going to, if we have that risk averse mindset, because maybe we crashed on that bike many years ago in front of, (laughs) front of our friends, 
we may not feel comfortable challenging the industry business model of whatever you know, whatever industry we're working in. So that may limit our ability to disrupt the unwritten rules of the industry. So there's this line of sight to, from the individual to how we create our team cultures and what we're, we give permission to our team to do, which then can impact our cult, organizational cultures and even what we're able to do in the world. So it's that rewriting the unwritten rules starts with us, but it has cascading implications for the things we can achieve in, in life and in business. And just as I, you know, as I was exploring that concept and thinking about my own leadership and thinking about all of the, the unwritten rules and mindsets and things that at various points in my career, like when it came time to, I still remember the first person way all those decades ago, the first person I ever needed to fire for lack of performance and had done all the work and then, you know, done, did, did everything that needed to happen. I was just talking with Karen about this the other day. I think I angsted about that for knowing it was coming. I angsted about it for like eight weeks, <laughs> you know, which is just ridiculous. But why, uh, you know, and that, you know, and I'm, I'm picturing this was not the case for me, but I've worked with other leaders who like, you know, they got something wrong at some point. It was embarrassing. They don't trust their own wisdom and process. And now they're reluctant to, you know, make a mistake for good reasons. But Okay, just that small thing that now look at all the ways that's impacting. And if we can rewrite that unwritten rule in our head, how does that help that person who needs the feedback? How does it help the team? How does it help your approach in the, I mean, as you said, just this massive cascade that comes about when we take stock of our experiences. It, it is. And you're, that's a very good example of how this works. And then you're, your connection point. And I, I've got another one that's almost, it's almost uh, the other side of the coin. I had a boss one time who asked for feedback for him, for himself. And he, he, he happened to have a mustache. And he said to me, just as sort of a way to break the ice, he said, if I have food in my mustache, I want you to tell me because it shows me that you care about me. And this was 25 years ago. And I'm sure he doesn't even remember that conversation, but I remember the conversation because I thought feedback shows I care as long as, of course, I do it in sure. a, a caring way. And so those little experiences, again, whether they're, you know, getting our way or our enablers, if we, you know, kind of get more aware of them, we're more aware of ourselves, and then we can operate with greater awareness. And that's really, you know, an important leadership quality. All right. Well, I want to leverage that that you just said and take us uh, to maybe the next level of that. But before we do, uh, tell us where we can connect with you, where to find the book. Uh, do you have any, um, I'm sure you do, have some resources or things that people should connect with to take advantage of, of all of this? It's pretty simple. My my full name, SorenKaplan.com, S-O-R-E-N-K-A-P-L-A-N.com. And you can get the first chapter of my book just right on my website. And um, it, it also comes with a, a toolkit with a PowerPoint and an assessment and a bunch of different resources for you know team building and 360 assessments that I've just made available. Uh, I, I think this concept is really important to make us as individuals and our teams and society better. And so that's where you can find it all, basically, um, SorenKaplan.com. 
Fantastic. Well, I can't encourage you enough listeners, take advantage of all of that uh, Soren has made available for you there. It's there and it's just a matter of using it. So once again, our guest today, Soren Kaplan, author of Experiential Intelligence, Harness the Power of Experience for Personal and Business Breakthroughs. And uh, we just were talking about uh, as we rewrite the unwritten rules and take advantage of all those experiences and the, even the little experiences and what they can do for us as, as we think about that. One of the opportunities as leaders that you talk about is to create experiences to spark positive change. So I kind of like to wrap up our conversation by talking about that aspect of this is like, this is really where it kind of gets uh, exponential in all of this experiential intelligence conversation. Uh, let me rattle off a few of these opportunities. Um, we have experiences, of course, that's a little bit more passive, but we create experiences as leaders. So how do you do it? Um, quick example, uh, I had a leader come together with their team. We had everyone do pre-work. What are the top three experiences that shaped you as a person that gave you abilities that you're bringing to the workplace? Everyone walked in, everyone shared, we inventoried the assets that were in the room. And then we talked about how they could use that to implement their business strategy for the next year. So it's, you know, team building, quick, you know, kind of competency inventorying. Another one, new hires who come in to your organization, pair them with someone with a lot of experience, create a mentoring coaching relationship. You're creating experiences for both parties. People who are seasoned get new insights from people who are just coming in. People who are coming in learn how to do stuff that's probably, you know, oftentimes based on tacit knowledge rather than explicit knowledge and training. Um, you can also create experiences around, you know, let's say you want innovation, create awards and recognition, not monetary. Usually the, the worthless rewards are the most valuable rewards when changing culture. So Recon, you know, verbal recognition, storytelling, you're creating experiences for people to help reveal what's important. Those are, that's experiential learning and it's experiential intelligence too. It reinforces mindsets, attitudes, and beliefs about what's important in the culture. Those are just three really quick examples of this. And, and just the, the, the depth of what's possible is people have those experiences and engage in them. And, and I'm thinking about uh, the the gentleman who told you, if I see a seafood in my mustache, I want to know. That's because <laughs> feedback is a gift to me. It shows you care. Like he created an experience. Like, you know, it's, it was a small thing, but he created an experience and a, a shift in a belief that he had. Like you said, maybe he didn't even remember it, but in creating that experience about. And so calling those tacit beliefs to the forefront for one another uh, is another way we can do that. There's just so many of these opportunities. Yeah, that's actually really that's a good, that's a good one, um, and I, I don't know that I've really talked about it like that. But as you see experiences happening, raise up what they're communicating, raise up, and and sometimes you know I've been in meetings where people say, "Hey, we we tried that ten years ago and it didn't work," or "We can't do this because we don't have enough data." Well, uh, elevate what is really being said with those experiences to people. Oh, we don't want innovation. We have to have perfect information before we can do anything. Well, like like th those things can get in the way, but you can also highlight, you know, positive things too to say, oh, this is about positive feedback. You know, if I've got something in my mustache, it means you care about me. We all care about each other. How do we help each other learn and grow? So, you know, that 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 elevating as a leader, elevating the invisible to the visible, I, I think is a wonderful illustration of that. 
All right. So much, so many different practical opportunities here as we uh, wrap up talking about experiential intelligence with Soren Kaplan. Uh, Soren, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom and your time with us. It's been a pleasure, David. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Well, hey, listeners, get out there. You've got experiential intelligence. You've got your own self-reflection to do about your know-how, your abilities, your mindsets to decode, identify, remake those mindsets that are serving and to leverage the ones that are. And then in all the different ways you can lead to connect the dots, to rewrite the unwritten rules. Uh, and as we were wrapping up there, to create experiences to spark positive change. Uh, so many opportunities for you to create those experiences and be the leader you'd want your boss to be. We'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>